At IKEA, your dream home is a blue bag away. No matter the size of your space or budget, we've got everything you need to turn your dreams into reality. And now with new lower prices on hundreds of our most popular products, bringing the dream home is even easier. Like the gray Strandom wing chair, was $369, now $299. And the IKEA Plus 365 nine-piece cookware set was $129.99, now $89.99. And hundreds more. Shop new lower prices at ikea-usa.com today. Lipton Green Tea is a simple way to up your everyday healthy habits. Green tea contains flavonoids, which are naturally occurring bioactives found in tea, vegetables, and fruit. Just two cups of Lipton Green Tea can help support health by providing approximately the same amount of flavonoids as eating 20 pounds of cooked broccoli. Available in new Signature Blend Green Tea and new Lemon Peach and Honey Ginger Green Tea. Try new Lipton Green Tea today. Welcome to Rex Factor. This week, Ethelred the Unready. With your hosts, Graham Duke and Ali Hood. Another um, bit late. Well, yes, we, we've had a few weeks off, but we're back. Back. Ready uh, for action. And we're last boy king. Yes, the last of the six boy kings, namely, as you just heard, Ethelred the Unready, and technically Ethelred the Second, which because... means that he's our first second. Ah, interesting. Who's the, who's the other one? The first one, we didn't cover him in terms of reviewing him, but he was Alfred's older brother. Was called Ethelred as well, and he was king before Alfred. He was king before Alfred. We didn't review him, but he was the first. So this is why we now have Ethelred the second. But for our purposes, he's still the first and only Ethelred. Is but, there another? But actually, but we're calling him Ethelred the Unready. So all confusion is gone. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, another X Factor back to Ethelred. But before we move on to Ethelred, we've got a, a tweet. All right. Our first on. tweet. It's yeah. from uh, Richard Holmes, not the eminent. Historian, but well, the, an, <laughs> another eminent sure? military historian. Well, I should check perhaps. Um, and he's tweeted Edgar the Peaceful so deserved the Rex Factor. Hood is just too bloodthirsty. I was not surprised to hear you regret it in number nine. Probably this is, of course, a few episodes ago. Edgar the Peaceful uh, was our first split in the yeah. Rex Factor vote. And. Uh, the well, controversy. It is, the and it's lovely to get tweets, but I'm afraid <laughs> <laughs> you're wrong. <laughs> but um, I'm sure Graham still agrees with you. Categoric answer there. If you do want to uh, hear about how wrong you are, tweet us uh, at rexfactorpod or email rexfactorpodcast.hotmail.com. Done. But for now, Ethelred the Unready. So it's now the year 978, and if you remember from last time, the strength and stability of the not-quite-rex-factor-worthy Edgar the Peaceable had all been undone in three short years, and Edward the Martyr had been murdered by uh, political factions who were supporting Ethelred. He was the not-very-memorable chap. The not-very-memorable chap yeah, who you're really trying to remember. Yeah. What happened was he got killed, basically. Yeah. That was all that he did. So Ethelred becomes king, and he's only ten years old. Hence Spells the trouble. Boy king. Spells trouble. It's a difficult time. And this is really quite an important reign, because it's the first... One that tells a story that will take us to 1066. Okay, so, so we're next, warming up now. Warming up yeah, to 1066. You're getting strength. there. You're Eyes getting. are lighting up. Yeah. Um, so we're seeing away from the sort of growth and flourishing of Anglo-Saxon England that we'd seen before, and it's now about how different kingdoms start to get interconnected in all centres around England. 
So we see how the Anglo-Saxons lose their dominance and how everybody else starts to... So all to the outlying countries that have uh, a coast. Indeed. But, and so they're all sort of looking to jump on the island. Yeah, and we see with Ethelred, which is quite a long reign, how this comes to be and how the strength that we've had under Edgar suddenly just okay. disappears. Before we do that, though, we need to cover his name. Yeah, what is that about? Ethelred the Unready, what, what would your perception of him be? He's probably one of the few Saxons that people know the name. Uh, there's two possible ways to take this. Not prepared. Yep. And not red-headed. <laughs> that was one I hadn't considered. But Wait, I think it would. Right? I think that would be accurate. Is he not red? Can't go red-headed? I don't believe he does. You, okay. Well, you've got the... Uh, Job done. Oh, yeah, let's look, look his at the picture. Okay. But that's actually not really what it means, because it comes from the Old English, which would be Ethelred the Unread, which at the time meant poorly counselled, because the name Ethelred means noble counsel, Ethel. In red. Yeah. So some bright spark just put un in front of the red. <laughs> oh. To make so it it's like, um, bad council. Like street slang. Indeed. So it's so un-red. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but obviously, as it uh, came to modern English, that looks rather like ready, unready. Yeah. And it's not entirely inappropriate, but it's not technically what it means. Okay. But that's where the name comes from. That's a Rex factor fact for you. Indeed. And his legacy is worth reflecting on as well, because the reason that Unready has stuck so much is because he's generally universally criticised by all and sundry. So a few examples. E.A. Freeman describing him as a bad man and a bad king. James Ramsey pointed out that he's the only king whose nickname actually says that he's rubbish. But, uh, but well, bad king... Oh, it doesn't say that he's rubbish, just says well, he's Well, technically not. Yeah. Unready implies that he's not very good. Yeah, he's yeah. the only... thing. other people have things like the magnificent, the glorious, the great. Or the bad. Or the bad. He has the unready. Yeah. Which isn't great. Since oh, Michael Wiss said, he's probably got the poorest yeah. reputation of any king. Even, like, Richard III, King John, none mm. of them seem to quite match the degeneracy associated with Ethelred. Yeah. Because, I mean, if you're magnificent or bad, at least that's subjective. If you're just not very well prepared, that's yeah. like a damning school report. <laughs> or indeed, nothing poorly advised. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. But that's, See how but quickly we get? Indeed, yeah. but that's the same. It's still not a particularly great nickname mm. to have. That's rubbish. I'd hate Ethelred that. Ethelred the poorly advised. Yeah. So we're going to see, was he actually quite as bad as that makes out? And why has everyone slagged him off so much? Okay. So as you saw, at succession, he comes to the worst possible circumstances, really. As he said, he's only ten years old. And his older brother has just been killed. Mm-hmm. So that's already got bad associations. So he's the son of the peaceable. Son of the peaceable, yeah. brother of the martyr. Okay. And even though he wasn't actually guilty in killing him, it's thought that his mother, um, Elfrith, mm-hmm. probably was. And the crown as a whole, its prestige, gets tainted by association with this. Good scandal. And he struggles to ever recover because the cult of Edward the Martyr as a saint grows and grows during his mm. reign, so he's never able to escape this association with murder. Mm, you, can't, you can't defeat someone who's dead, can you? Can't throw that off. Mm. And he has bad omens as well, so there's a red cloud, red as blood, frequently seen, the appearance of fire, which Saxon's always quite fearful of. Mm. And in fact, this is one of the last times when Dunstan really plays a big oh, part. Oh, this guy. Still there, oh, Dunstan. He is the world's longest living monk. <laughs> yes, he is. It's like, what's that Russian chap, Rasputin? Rasputin. You can't get rid of him. Um, so he was said to have gone with a group of nobles to Wilton to ask Edith, who was Ethelred's older sister, if she would become queen. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not sure how genuine an attempt this was by him, or if it's just something that's in the chronicles to make Edith look good and Ethelred look bad. 
But if it is, it's possibly the first time that we see the possibility of a queen. So they must be, he must have been absolutely desperate. He really must. Here's a Rex Factor Rex tweet coming Factor through. Tweet, yeah. <laughs> oh my god, it is. It says you have new activity. Excellent. So well, we'll check that after this one. Yeah. Stay tuned. Um, but she refused, as you'd expect. Did you do that? <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> she, she refused, chose the holy life, which you'd expect, but... Nevertheless, it shows that people aren't quite happy about Ethelred. Yeah. But still, he does get crowned, um, particularly after Edward the Martyr gets a proper burial, people are willing to accept him. So Dunstan and Oswald crown him, but Dunstan is said to have given him a stern warning at his coronation and also predict doom for the whole country. Oh, right. Uh, is this the last time we hear from this chap? Well, Ethelred's obviously in the minority when he starts off. So Elfrith, his mother, Elf here, who is this powerful man in uh, Mercia, and also Ethelwold, who is a powerful bishop, essentially running yeah. the show. But these people have all been around for a long time, so yeah. gradually the old guards start to die off. So Elf here, the elderman in Mercia, dies in 983. Ethelwold, who is apparently a major influence on the young Ethelwold, uh, Ethelred, dies in 984. Edith, his sister, also dies in 984. And then finally, in 988... Dunstan dies. There shouldn't be a hooray there, but honestly, this this chap He's needs... finally gone, so yeah. he was serving seven kings for about 40 years. That's impressive. I think that must That's... be a record. I'm not yeah. sure if anyone has been able to do that. Seven, seven different kings. kings. And he finally dies at the age of 79. That's not bad. Not I mean, that's not bad, bad going up until about the 1970s in yeah. this country now. <laughs> Um, and he became a saint, was apparently a favourite saint of England until Thomas Beckett came along. And there's a charity named after him now, St Dunstan's, which looks after blind ex-servicemen. Oh, it's named after too. Dunstan. Yeah, hmm. oh, right. So, a proud not, legacy. Not Dunstan the Castle. Not Dunstan so the Castle. For him to be. <laughs> Indeed. So he is now gone. But this means that Ethelred's able to assert his authority a bit more, because all the old people are dying yeah. off. Yeah. Um, and then with a few more die off. Elfrith, his mother... Curiously, she dies on the 17th of November, but it was sometime between 999 and 1001. So they know the day, but they're not sure the year. Yeah. But, um, uh, yeah. but nevertheless, he is now starting to take control. The old guard dying off. Yes. Might that be the source of his unreadiness? It's a big problem. So from the latter half of the 980s, the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle, which is the main yeah. sort of source at the time, is talking about the Saxon government being really bad, treachery, indecision people don't know what they're doing, is a huge problem. Crying out for a Dunstan. Because he doesn't have anyone that actually knows what they're doing. Yeah. And he's grown up with all these people dying off, so he is now at the top of the tree with mm. no real powerful mm. people mm. around cool. him who know what to do. And the big problem for them then is that in the 980s we start to see some raids from the Vikings. Oh, they've made, yeah, raised their... Now, it's been a long okay. time since we really talked about the yeah. Vikings in any sort of serious breath. And at the start, it's not taken too seriously. So, I mean, he's only a teenager at the time, but they're just small raiding parties rather than When was the last invasions. time we talked about them? It was well, we had Eric, Eric the Blood Axe, the blood axe but, that, but was, that was an isolated chap yeah. rather than an invasion. Really, we're going back to... hundred years at least. Yeah. Well, it was Alfred when the last time where they faced a serious Viking invasion. And gradually, each ruler had bit by bit forced them out. But now they're starting to... And they're coming back because back they've again. got this succession of boy kings. Well, they're coming back. I mean, there were Danes and Norwegians who both come mm. under the yeah. bracket Viking. They're unhappy with this autocratic Christian ruler, Harold Bluetooth. So people start going elsewhere to try and get some spoils from foreign countries. So mm. they go off to England, which is not so well defended, as we'll see later. 
Um, so 980, the Southampton gets ravaged. Also Thanet and Cheshire. The next year, Southampton. Southampton. Jolly far south. Is that because we're now seeing the Norsemen, which become Normans, down in northern France, so it's easy to raid? These aren't the Norsemen. These aren't Normans, but the role of Normandy is very important because okay. Ethelred gets quite upset because, as say, Normans were former, well, as you will know, but people not, mm. not, former Vikings who sort of settled in Normandy region in France and took on sort of French feudal aristocracy sort of system, but they're still quite sympathetic to the Vikings. So it's the normal Vikings from Scandinavia, but they go back from England to the ports in Normandy to shelter and then go back. Scandinavia. Oh, okay. Right. So yeah. So this causes a lot of tension with the Saxon kingdom, and Ethelred's getting quite cross with them. So it's so bad that Pope John the Fifteenth had to engineer a peace, which was ratified at Rouen in nine nine one. So right. they're agreeing they're not going to look after the Vikings anymore. Okay. However, things start to get very serious for the Saxons in nine nine one because, of course, there was a famous battle at Malden. Malden. Me. Waiting for this to come for a while. Um, so the Vikings had sacked Ipswich and Sandwich, and they're coming down the east coast where they get to Malden, where Britnoth, who's an elderman of Essex and probably one of the most powerful people in the kingdom now with everybody else that's been dying off, uh, he meets them there with an army. And initially they come to Northern Ireland. They're not able to get across to Malden because there's a narrow causeway. Still there. Still there. Mm. And they try to get across, but they're held off by only about three of his men because it's so narrow that they have to beat them in single combat. Mm. So they you get tired, though. You would, you would get it's tired, It's a triple yes. tag team, I suppose. You go, right, you'll go, you'll <laughs> yeah. take the next one, I'll take the next one. But, you know, you're still facing a third of the... Of the jolly impressive, anyway. I, think I recommend anyone to go there. It's oh, yeah. great to see. But the Vikings get a bit fed up with this and say, come on, are we going to fight or what? Mm. And Britain off decides to let them cross so that they can have a proper full-out battle. Yeah. Well, indeed. So what happens, of course, is that Saxons get slaughtered because the Vikings vastly outnumber them. But an heroic fight, Britnoth gets killed. This is quite a heroic figure. He's about 60 at this point and about 6 foot tall. He's a really powerful, mm. strong mm. chap. But he goes down, uh, but his sort of thanes, his men, stay around him. Even though the fight is lost, they're sort of protecting his body to the end. And there's this a poem, very p- famous Saxon poem written about the Battle of Malden, which sort of celebrates the heroism here. Mm. But for the Saxons, it's quite a disastrous defeat. And so this chap, Britnoth, he's he's an uh, ally of the king, so we effectively this is a bit of bit of battliness to bear in mind. It is, and this is this really attracts um, the attention of people. There's a, you'll enjoy this, of course. There's a comparison here to Lord of the Rings. J.R. Tolkien, writer of Lord <laughs> of the Rings, wrote about the Battle of Malden because he was interested in his Saxons, and he actually decided to interpret it as an elegy of loss, and he criticises Britnoth for sort of pride in the air and letting them across. Yeah, definitely. Whereas in Lord of the Rings, there's an episode where there's a bridge at Khazad Doom where the heroes are running away from this monster called the Balrog. Is that underground? Yes. Mm. And Gandalf, sort of leading the group, as it were, stops him on the bridge, you shall not pass, and sacrifices himself so they don't get across. So you contrast. Now, as much as I don't like Lord of the Rings, that is, that's cool. I like, I like to see that linking. So it's interesting. Do we think Britain also made a mistake or was it an heroic sacrifice? Oh, right in, but I... A lot, a lot of damage was done to the Vikings, yeah. so they weren't able to go any further. Oh. So they had to retreat after that. Yeah, but they had to retreat back to uh, um, Viking land. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and let them know that, right, OK, we had to go home because, you know, a bit bruised, but they were rubbish. There's <laughs> loads of gold over there. So I, they're terrible. They should have not let a single one live... And 
put put paid to that. Well, this is a good time to look at the picture of Ethelred. Right, okay, now we've got. Um, well, he's got something in it. He's got gold going on there. Mm. So he's inherited a rich kingdom. Yeah. He's looking very keenly, but young. And what's he got in his hands? Well, is it? Oh, it's not another relic, is it? They love those. I suspect it's a some sort of chess or box with gold and coins yeah. and treasure inside it. Yeah. Because what happens after Molden is that they pay off the Vikings to go away and not do any more damage. Mm. And it's something called the Danegeld. I've which, heard of this, It's yeah. essentially a tax that the Saxons pay mm. just to beg them to go away. So initially they give them £10,000 go after Molden. Well, indeed. 994, it goes up to 16000 1002, 24 1007, 36, 10, 12, 48,000. And if you keep giving it, it's only going oh, this is mental, this guy's rubbish. Yeah, so the Chronicle reckons about £270,000 between 991 and 1018 that they pay, which demonstrates partly how rich the kingdom was, but also that how damaging this was and the taxes that they had to put in to be able to pay, wow. pay for all of this. And Rudyard Kipling here jumps in with a little poem, which is quite useful. It is always a temptation to a rich and lazy nation to puff and look important and to say, though we know we should defeat you, we have not the time to meet you, we will therefore pay you cash to go away. And that is called paying the Danegeld, but we've proved it again and again, that if once you have paid in the Danegeld, you never get rid of the Dane. Uh, yes, that's, yeah, exactly. And as you said, the more that they get, the more that they come back. So mm. after Molden, it just increases. It's like paying wasps with jam they're going to come back <laughs> exactly. more jam <laughs> just take the jam we've got loads of it we've got no just jam left <laughs> yeah so it'll sting you to death but the question is why are the Vikings able to do this why are they suddenly so powerful and the Saxons so weak when previously the Saxons had been unconquerable yeah okay 992 Ethelred orders that all the ships which were of any use should be gathered so that they can fight and defend the island but the phrase, which were of any use, is probably quite indicative of the fact that since Edgar's time, the 970s, they probably haven't built any more. So it's they're these 20, 30-year-old ships. As you say, they're rotting. And similarly in the towns, defences had deteriorated because they'd had all this time of peace. They were focusing more on economic mm. stuff rather than mm. defending themselves. So walls get knocked down, garrisons aren't maintained anymore. So they're not actually well-equipped to defend themselves as once they were. And also, they're facing quite powerful Vikings. So at Molden, we had Olaf Tryggvason, who uh, becomes king of Norway, and the Danish king Sven Forkbeard. Cool name. Who in 1013 founded Swansea. Really? You think Sven C. Sven. Blimey. C is Sven. Yeah, Swansea. Swansea in Wales. Indeed. For those who want <laughs> yes, some geography help. <laughs> and it's also fair to say it's a different challenge to that face before. Because I think Alfred, the Vikings were already there in land. And he fought them in battle. Mm-hmm. So he was only facing sort of 7, 10, 15 ships whenever they came along. 993, just one year, Ethelred has 93 ships from the Vikings that descend. So good. it's a completely different thing. They're not coming to settle. They're coming just to take what they can get yeah. and leave. It's yeah. very different. So 990s, it gets much more intense. 994, they actually have an attempt to take London. It fails, but it shows how ambitious they're now getting. Mm. So Ethelred, he tries another tactic, rather than the navy, he tries to do a bit of divide and rule. So if you remember that Alfred got um, his Viking foe Guthrum to be baptised, he yeah. acted as his godfather, Ethelred does the same with Olaf, and he says, you know, become a Christian, I'll be your godfather, promise not to come back, and obviously they pay him as well. Yeah, I was going to say, what's in it for them, just more money? More money. He hasn't got the hang of this, has he? Well, surprisingly, Olaf actually agrees, he never comes back. Really? And what he does is he goes back to Norway, becomes king in 995, founds Trondheim, mm-hmm. um, gets the Orkney Islands to be Christian, 
And then he sets his sights on ruling Scandinavia as a whole, i.e. Denmark, Sweden as well. So this means that Sven, the Danish chap, has to go back and sort out his backyard. So 995 to 996, there are no raids on England because they're focusing internally rather than on... How long has that been last? Well, not too long. Um, They come back 997, basically, but 999-1000, there's this Battle of Svolda, which is very very famous in Viking or Scandinavian circles. Right. And it's a sea battle, which is quite cool. Imagine all the Viking longships, all at sea, when um, Sven and other Scandinavian rulers gang up on Olaf. And gradually they defeat and kill everybody, and Olaf's left on his one ship, uh, which is the Long Serpent, at which point he jumps into the sea. Why? Uh, because he realises he's about to be captured and killed. So he jumps away so they can't get him. And he's thought to have drowned, but he's one of these things which are called a King of the Mountain, where you have a legendary heroic figure whose death is never quite confirmed, yeah. and you have reports that he was taken away by yeah. mermaids and like, sort um, of things. Who's that Welsh chap? Erin Blindur. Yeah. Yeah. Um... So, hang on, so who was fighting that sea battle? That was the Vikings Against in fighting. That'd be wicked. I'd love to see some sort of artist impression of that. That'd be brilliant. That would be awesome. Yeah. But upshot of this is that Sven Forkbeard is now dominant, doesn't have to worry about Olaf. So 997, 998, 999, etc. We have Cornwall, Wales, Devon, Dorset, Kent, Hampshire, Devon. Yeah, all Cornwall. getting slaughtered. Exeter, Wiltshire, Norwich. Basically everywhere. Mm. I've got a diagram of it. The whole, all the way around. So once again, you're just looking at Wessex as the only bit that's untouched. Oh, oh no, Wessex as well, there, Wiltshire yeah. as well, yeah. even Wessex, everywhere is getting touched. The only let-up is in 1005 when there's a severe famine, which means that the Vikings obviously can't get any Every food. Every cloud. So they have to go <laughs> home, exactly. <laughs> and it's at this point that things really start to go wrong. Yeah. Um, and I think Frank Stenton, who's this eminent Saxon historian, says it's basically sort of 1008 to 1012 when it really becomes um, irretrievable. So Ethelred, again, he tries to take some positive action and he creates emergency burrs, he transfers the mints where they made the coins from the towns that weren't so well protected to these Iron Age hill forts. And foreign policy is negotiating with the Duke Richard of Normandy, so as he said, the Treaty of Rouen. Um, he also launches a naval attack on the continent, just to, again, remind them who they should be serving. Not I against the... Not the Vikings, say. but against Normandy. Good. And he marries Richard's daughter, Emma. Mm. Mourn her later. And then he builds a navy, a la Edgar. He gets everybody, build a navy, and lots of helmets and chainmail, everything. Mm. We're really going to be prepared. So 1009, we've got this huge army brought down to Sandwich, ready to protect England from invasion. Unfortunately, uh, loyalty amongst his nobles isn't particularly good, and two of them have a bit of a falling out, Beatrick and Wolfnoth. Mm. And Wolfnoth flees the country with 20 of the ships. Oh, dear. How many? 20. I'm not sure how many there are in total, but 20 is a decent number. Beatrick procures another 80 ships and tries to catch him, so he goes off after him. Unfortunately, there's a massive storm, and all his ships get destroyed. At which point, all the ships that are left, no one quite knows what they're doing. Some people abandon their ships, others bring them to London, others get destroyed, and it's just all gone. This huge operation, building all these ships, gone. He's, he's so disorganised. Sure enough, the Danes come quite soon afterwards, do a bit more ravaging, yeah. and it's really looking bad. So now no one in England's got any idea what to do now. They've built the navy, they've done all of this, it's still failed. And Sven Fortbeard now decides it's time to take things to another level. So rather than just doing his usual raiding, he goes up in 1013, we are now, uh, goes up to Hull, up the Humber, down the Trent to Gainsborough, and this sort of operates as his... That's very far inland. Oh, it is. 
That's incredible. Well, very shallow draft boats, aren't they? What he's doing, he uses Gainsborough as a base. So what he's this is near Lincolnshire for those not in the know. He's now doing an invasion, so mm. he's not just raiding; he's properly trying to take the kingdom now. Right. So uh, he leaves his teenage son Canute ah, with some him. ships and hostages, and then basically the whole kingdom just submits to him. So Northumbria, the five boroughs, Aldained north of Watling Street, comes down to Oxford, Winchester, which is obviously the heart of Wessex, and then Bath, where Edgar had his huge uh, coronation ceremony, yeah, yeah. before finally London as well submits. And Ethelred goes off to Normandy with his wife in exile, dethroned. Job done. You'd think. 1014. Dunster? Three months. No, <laughs> he rises from the dead. <laughs> I'm not done yet. Um, well, speaking of dead, actually, is not entirely far from the truth. Sven dies just three months later. He doesn't end the third. Indeed. Well, he's, he's sort of in... I mean, he's in his 50s. He's been around for a while. Oh, right. There is a, there is a story that um, this saint called St. Saint Edmund, not an Edmund that we've covered, but one who was killed by Vikings sort of a couple of hundred years before, allegedly came to him as a ghost, scared him witless, and thus he died in terror at the sight of this ghost. I suspect he just died. Yeah, I think he probably just but died, yeah. nevertheless, yeah. he is dead. The Danes and Gainsborough declare... Well, that's a bit of a rhyme there. <laughs> Danes and Gainsborough. Uh, they declare Canute as their king, but the Saxon nobles aren't going to have this, so they send for Ethelred and bring him back from Normandy to be king again. What? How does that work? Just say, yeah, we submit, actually, we want the old fellow back. Well, because it's very much dependent on the individual and the king. Because oh, it, it was Fortenbeard who did it. <laughs> it was Sven. Yeah. And Canute's, he's a teenager, he's not been in charge, and he's up in Gainsborough. So yeah. they act quite quickly, bring back Ethelred, conditioned upon him agreeing to govern his kingdom more justly than he had done previously. That's, you'd imagine if you had told that, right, we're going to be back, I suppose we'd do better. <laughs> okay, yeah. fine, whatever. <laughs> well, it's probably the first sort of constitutional arrangement with a king that we've had. Oh, that's a good point. That's yeah. really interesting, yeah. When was this? Uh, this is 1014 now. Okay, note that in your diaries. Yeah, so, and Canute wasn't really prepared to launch an, another invasion to retake the kingdom, so he's forced to head back, particularly because Ethelred surprisingly launches quite a strong attack. With the nobles? <clears throat> with the nobles, um, at a place called Lindsay, where they had submitted, and he's pretty savage to all the people there, so Canute just legs it back to Denmark. Mm. His uh, older brother, actually, Harold II, is king in Denmark, and he agrees to help give him... Who's older brother? Canute's? Canute's older brother. Right. He's king in Denmark, and he agrees to help him form another army, also with this great warrior called Eric of Half here. So he's someone that could inspire the Danes in northern England mm. to fight for Canute, mm. which previously they might not have done. So then Canute comes back with about 200 longships and about 10,000 troops. Trouble. Trouble indeed, and it, inevitably it all goes a bit wrong and Ethelred plays another Dane girl of about £21,000. Uh, but Canute's not done here, and Ethelred's oldest son Edmund gets a bit fed up, goes off by himself. The nobles are submitting to Canute, and finally on St George's Day, Ethelred dies. Very ill and much troubled. Mm. And as the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle... No, it wasn't the Chronicle, it was some historian said, he did his country the only service that was in his power by dying. It's <laughs> a little harsh. <laughs> oh, poor chap. So that's the end of Ethelred, a long and troubled reign, which has seen him kicked off and then about to be kicked off again by the Vikings. Yeah. God. Not very good at all. Not indeed. So how is he going to do? Let's find out. Well, uh, yeah. Go on then. <laughs> Lipton Green Tea is a simple way to up your everyday healthy habits. Green tea contains flavonoids, which are naturally occurring bioactives found in tea, vegetables, and fruit. 
Just two cups of Lipton green tea can help support health by providing approximately the same amount of flavonoids as eating 20 pounds of cooked broccoli. Available in new signature blend green tea and new lemon, peach, and honey ginger green tea. Try new Lipton green tea today. What does Colgate mean by live life to the brightest? Could it be a rich glass of red sipped inside a Parisian cafe on a snowy night when my gaze is met by a tall, mysterious... I mean, brushing is directed with Colgate Optic White Pro Series Toothpaste gives you a visibly whiter smile in just three days so you can live life to the brightest and finish that glass without worrying about teeth stains. Colgate Optic White. Find it at all major retailers. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Battleiness. Essentially, everything we've talked about is battleiness. Mm. But I didn't want to say battleiness at the start because people might have forgotten what we were doing. But it is, and it's, it is, it is good, though, that there's, a, there's so much to go on for this factor now. There is a lot, yeah. I mean, this is essentially the whole reign is really about the Viking invasion. Though, having said that, we've got more to go on. Not going to affect the score because <clears throat> actually pretty rubbish. And this Danegeld stuff, really, someone, someone should be advising him. <laughs> um... It is. It's not good. It, it is unfortunate. As um, Winston Churchill, in his uh, History of the English-Speaking Peoples, pointed out, that although Alfred also paid um, the Danes to go away in, in mm. his time as king, he also prepared to then fight them. Exactly. That is buying you time in order to do something about it, not, not, as, an, uh, not as a as solution. Yeah, whereas Ethelred, he just pays it. But in fairness, he does try. So he, you know, he does the thing with the emergency birds. He tries to build the navy. He sometimes tries to do things, but whenever he does... It just goes wrong. So, what 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 significant battles we've got? Malden, Malden, Toulouse. There are lots of other conflicts. No, none of them to the same level no. as Malden in terms of pitch battle. But lots of other conflicts. Some of the nobles are able to do a bit better. Lots of skirmishes with the Vikings that they lose. That they lose. And um, it's also worth pointing out that the elder men, who are the people in charge, they're not really generals. So previously they would have been, because that's all that they would have done, but because we've had so much peace, they're used to being sort oh, of privileged aristocrats yeah. who have nice warm fires, etc. They don't really know how to defend Well, how the long was Edgar's reign? Um, it was 16 years, was it? Yeah, so that's... But you think all the people that have been serving him have died off, so the new people that have come in haven't been used to fighting. Oh, uh, I see, yeah. But in terms of judging Ethelred on battleiness, I mean, you have to say he gets kicked off the throne. Twice. They lose all the battles pretty much twice. He would have been defeated yeah. if he hadn't died. I'm not sure we can really give him much credit at all for that. I mean, was it a 20? Uh, well, yeah, 10 each. 10 each, so I'm... And I'm we, gave, we gave Edward the Martin naught because he didn't have any battles. I mean, Ethelred... Has battles but loses Has battles, but he doesn't get involved in them. So there's one time Edmund Ironside, his son, draws up an army in 1015, but they refuse to fight because Ethelred... Doesn't isn't there? The king isn't there. So he doesn't even do the fighting himself. Oh no, he doesn't do the fighting or the generalship. No, just absent, is it possible? Absent. Is it possible to give him zero, even though there were battles because he didn't win any, nor did he fight in any? I think it is because we're we're rating his 
He's fabulously fabulous. Yeah. And he loses and doesn't do much and loses his crown. It's going to be tricky with later kings that also don't fight. Uh, but there's a difference between not fighting but having an army that does well. Yeah. And just not fighting and having an army that loses. And con- uh, constitutionally obliged not to fight later on. Yes, whereas Ethelred really yeah. should be taking more of an active yeah. lead. Zero. Harsh. I, th- I think zero as well. I mean, you know, if you lose your kingdom... The name's expect- yeah. Indeed. So that's zero for battliness. Scandal. Good start on scandal. Yeah. Well, we do have some scandal stuff. And the big chap to focus on here is Edric Striona, or Edric Striona. Um, we'll do more on him next time as well. But in 1007, he becomes the first elderman appointed to Mercia for about 30 years. It's the first time we've had a new person appointed. Because the king was traditionally the elderman of Mercia. Uh, well, because they sort of tried to limit the power a bit, but also okay. because Elphir had been there for ages right. and ages. So they'd had a bit of a gap. Oh, I see. I see years. That chap, yeah. But he really is responsible for a lot of pretty bad stuff that helps explain why the unity of the kingdom is so bad under Ethelred. Um, so he's responsible for the murder of various nobles who are rivals. So there's Elfhelm of Northumbria gets killed while hunting as a guest of Edric, and he also blinds his two sons at the order of the Why? king. Because um, they're well, it's it's difficult to say with this, and we'll come to that in a minute in terms of the caveats. But it's with history we lose some of the pertinent mm. details, such as motive. Well, he's doing jolly well. Murder, blinding, which they. There are also to... two brothers, Morco and Sigafirth. Um, again, guests of Edric, and their lands get appropriated by Ethelred, and uh, the widow of one of them gets imprisoned at Malmesbury. Right. So what he's doing is anyone who sort of sees as a rival, they're taking the lands away from them, kicking them out, killing them, and asserting his authority. Well, it's a pretty good tactic, though, isn't it? In if a you, way. If, you, if you're the king, and that's, that's <coughs> the done thing for a king in those times. Well, but it wasn't a tactic used by the previous rulers. Previous rulers tended to try and... Win them round. Win them round by being a great king, whereas mm. he sort of had to do it by skullduggery. Uh, he's also, of course, the Dane girl, which is a bit of a controversial thing that stuck with him. Yeah. Um, there's another bit of Tolkien comparisons that we have brought along here. It's very good for Tolkien fans. Ethelred is quite a big, uh, big king. Uh, there's one chap, Lavelle, who suggests that he might have been the sleepy Theoden, who was his king, who was cast under a spell. Oh, yeah. And he had this evil advisor, Wormtongue, yeah. getting him to do bad things, which he suggests could be um, Edric Striona in this case. Hey, that's good. It's quite a strong link. I think yeah. he's quite a lot like this character called Denethor, who is the steward king, but he wasn't proper king. So we have this weak, paranoid ruler who shouldn't really be king, i.e. because Edward the Martyr should have been killed, unable to love his second son, Edmund, because his eldest had been killed. Which happens in Lord of the Rings. Happens in Lord of the Rings with Boromir, yeah, gets yeah. killed. In this case, he has an older son, Athelstan, who dies. Never really supports Edmund as much. And also he fails when confronted by the enemy. So uh, this is a quote from him. Rohan has deserted me. Theoden has betrayed me. Abandon your post. Flee. Flee for your lives. I like that. That's that's good comparison. Very Ethelready. Yeah. So all a bit rubbish. And perhaps the worst thing is on St Bryce's Day, which is one of these days perhaps lost to us now, he orders a massacre of all the Danish men who are among the English race, believing they were plotting to depose him. Doesn't happen everywhere. Obviously, Norse is pretty mm. much is Danish, mm. so he doesn't do much there. So it's not going to win them round, is it? No, widespread, widespread tales of massacres, and particularly in um, Oxford, that some Danes went to shelter in a church, but the citizens burnt it down. 
with them inside. And the sister of Sven was this woman called uh, Gunhilda, who was married to someone in England, and she witnessed her husband and children being murdered before being killed herself, which Sven Fortbeard obviously didn't approve of too much, and that helped him justify invading. This is all at Ethelred's... That was under Ethelred's orders. Yeah. So it's some pretty bad stuff. Simon Keynes, who's one of these revisionists... Um, said the lack of sources means some of these things are taken out of context. Murdering the rivals could be in the context of disloyalty. Um, the massacre maybe was exaggerated in terms of its spread, and probably his major fault was in terms of characters like Edric Striona. Mm, there's and lots there, of maybes and probably. Lots of maybes and probabilities. I think the fact is, he's the king, he's in charge of this, and a lot of this he's actually ordering. Yeah. And, and approving of, and he certainly doesn't get rid of people when it happens. We've only got what we have to go on. Exactly. Uh... It's pretty good. Well, yes, from a... He, he murders <laughs> his brother. If you flip it for a scandal, oh, he's going to get some yeah. points here. Yeah. So he's going to get quite a few. Out of ten, it's a good start. Possibly, maybe not, but possibly murdering his brother. Lots of massacre. Some blinding in there, which I'd like to see. Yeah. Um, Apparently that... Not much rape. Um, not personally. No. Not personally. Apparently, nor, um, nor, nor sex of any kind. Um, he does have sex. Okay. But it's sort of more within the confines of marriage. marriage. Well. Yeah. Uh, not as juicy. No. Pretty good, Dave. It's not at all bad. A seven. Um, I'm going to go with a. I'm going to go with a five, because it's. I think it's a bit more. It's less proper scandal in terms of someone going about being evil, or sexual. It's more a sort of a weak person. It is a weak person, just and, and just ordering it, way. and it's sort of sending out subjects <clears throat> to do his scandal. Yeah. He's not as. Uh, hands-on scandal, as maybe Edgar was, or someone like Henry VIII later will be. Yeah. Although, I mean, that's... that's, a, that's <coughs> a, Henry VIII is at orders as well, but I suppose you couldn't go around wielding the axe yourself. Yeah, so. yeah I'll, I'll bring it to a six mm-hmm. to temper that, but I, I think it's definitely, a, it's definitely more than halfway. Who else would we give him five? 11. Well, I mean, that's, that's the second-highest scandal, actually. Only, uh, only Edgar the Peaceable, who... Went around oh, okay. seducing yeah. nuns. That's fine, and I'm happy with that. Yeah. Well, that's, that's not bad. So he's, he's back on track. Subjectivity. We have to defend, before we get on to the obvious stuff, the subjectivity. It wasn't all bad in his defence, some would argue. Mm. Coinage did quite well. Good, good coins. quality coins apparently continued throughout the way, and it had, um, it had got worse under Ed, Edward the Martyr. Mm. But apparently under Ethelred it gets better again. So every six years they're re-minting it, so it's quite a good quality. Mm. And he's moving the mint over to safe places. Moved it over to safe places. And, as someone's sort of pointed out, to be able to raise so much money for the Dane Geld, he must have had quite a good financial bureaucracy in place to keep the point. money coming in. Good point. So, you know, pros and cons. Yeah. Um, also, he had a thing called the Wantage Code, which was quite an important piece of administration, so which gave credence to local law and apparently formed the basis of common law so he introduced Shire Reeves, who became sheriffs, uh, a king's man, yeah. in a certain place, representing the king of the Shires. And he might have taken an important step towards trial by jury, although that's disputed. In what, through this role as <coughs> a sheriff? No, just through more of the laws that he introduced. Okay. Less clear about that one, but certainly the sheriffs. Yeah. He, uh, he did quite a bit there. But, I mean, they can be interpreted <coughs> to be quite... Um, if, the, if the king himself is of dubious character, they can just be agents of trouble. Yeah, that's true. Um, <clears throat> but I mean, I suppose it's a, it's a, a building block, isn't it, for Indeed. potential? And it's also fair to say the 980s to 
sort of 990s, the Viking threat was just seen as pirates, really, rather than an invasion. So Ethelred focused on securing an heir. Again, a bit of Henry VIII stuff here, because at this point, in the 980s, there, aren't any, there isn't anybody left. We've been used to brothers quite a lot mm, of the time. Mm. Ethelred's the last in the line. If Ethelred dies in the 980s, it's absolute chaos and civil war because there's no obvious heir to take over from him. Does he succeed? He does indeed. We'll come to that later. Oh, he has quite a lot of children. Excellent. Good. So he does, you know, he yeah. puts the dynasty at the forefront. And you can tell that it's a priority for him because he names all of his children, the sons, after former Saxon kings that we've been studying. Oh, right. Oh, so, yeah. So he's a historian. Well, indeed, you know. Excellent. A bit of sympathy for him. Um, but still, he but, let the, the, everything fall apart, didn't he? Yes. Overall, the kingdom disintegrates, Vikings invade successfully, huge Danegale payments. Um, the fact that they impose conditions on him to allow him to come back suggests that they were pretty unhappy with things before. Mm. And then, I, this is one of my favourite things, in 1008, um, he introduced a law, the Lord Code to promote Christianity, because he feared that they might lapse into paganism. So bad was it, and they were worried about slavery, about desertion about complete social disintegration. And the desperation is evident in the final words of this law. It says, Let us from our innermost heart beseech Almighty God for help. Wow. Which I think shows it's getting pretty <laughs> bad. Yeah, I can't... I don't know. I mean, well, and, and also to say the grim reality of being alive in this time, which is what subjectivity is. Would yeah, you want to be exactly. a subject? Uh, the Anglo-Saxon chronicler lamented that in every way it was a hard time, for they never ceased from their evil deeds... The Archbishop of Canterbury, Dunstan's uh, successor, mm. gets pelted to death with bones and cattle heads before being finished off with the blunt head of an axe. Wow! And I've never heard of that. Yeah, yeah. Because he was captured, they demanded a ransom, but he refused to have one paid, so they got fed up with him and killed, killed him Killed him with bones and the head of an ox? Yeah. The Archbishop of Canterbury. And Is there any significance <coughs> to those? Were they some pagan significance of the head of an ox? If you know, give us a ring. Yeah, if you, if you know, I, pagan. I suspect they're just a hand. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and Wolfstown, the homilist, recorded harrowing sights of thanes watching listlessly while their women folks were serially raped by Danish raiders and of ordinary citizens so terrorised they made no attempt to intervene as crowds of their fellow countrymen and women and children were driven shipboard into slavery. So it's a horrible time to be alive. It's really, Which is what really subjectivity is about, as you say. Yeah. I mean, it, uh, for all... For all the good stuff... For all the coins. I'm, exactly. You wouldn't be sitting there going, well, I'm, my brother <coughs> might be being raped and I'm quite scared I'm going to die, but look at these coins. Right? <laughs> shiny. Shiny. God, it's a commemorative one. Brilliant. Hmm. So, what have we got elsewhere? Well, Edward the Martyr last week, who got naught for most things, actually. He got a naught because he just didn't do anything. Um, we have Edwig, again. People who didn't do much get a low score. Yeah, I mean, thought I did a little bit, but again... How much worse can you get than Vikings at will just Awful. raping, killing, sl- huge slave trade at this point in terms of the Saxons getting yeah. sent off to And he's secured the, secured the dynasty, but if you haven't got a, a kingdom, you've got no dynasty. Indeed, and we have a, you know, we have a, a score for dynasty. He's got that one covered. Yeah, he's got to so focus on subjectivity things. So I think it's bad. I mean, we've got the lowest score is zero, yeah. followed by three, so it's yeah. got to be one or two. yeah. One, I mean, I've got, I mean, it would be terrible, terrible. Yeah, it would. I think, yeah, I'll, I might give him naught and a half because I think he just, just deserves credit for the fact that he did do some things which Edward didn't do. There was nothing we had from Edward, mm. but it's so awful. It's bad. 
One and a half for subjectivity. Bad show, Ethelred. Bad show. Longevity. This is where we're going to start to see that the benefit of totalling up the scores at the end is, could be a bit misleading because Ethelred is king for 38 years. Which How is on earth did he make the that? longest reigning of all Saxon kings. I'm almost tempted to skew my scores, but I can't. <laughs> you can't. Which is surprising. Initially, of course, he was in the minority. He was only 10 when he started. Mm, so he's which only would 48 help. when he died. So you think the first 10 years, he's not really doing anything. He's just a kid. So that does help you stay, as long as you live long enough, yeah, which, of course, yeah. Edgar didn't do. But, you know, some people say the fact that he lasted 38 years, can he have been quite as bad if he was able to do that? No, he's just really good at putting up fires. Indeed, and on the other hand, you could argue that everybody else had done so well that that was how bad you had to mm. be for the whole edifice to crumble. Yeah, further to fall that he could sort of keep scrabbling yeah. around. But nevertheless, 38 is a good score. Dynasty, not the programme. Two marriages. First one is to Elgifu of York, who um, somebody who had quite a low profile, didn't hold any power, and in fact his mother, Elfrith, apparently overshadowed her and actually raised his children. But he has 11 children with her in all, of whom about six survive. This is doing terrible I know this. scores. So, yeah, so six surviving children from her, um, including two sons, Edmund and Edwig. Oh, man. Familiar names. Eleven? Eleven children, but six survive. Are we so, counting the six? How do we work that I out? I think we count the six there rather Good. than the other ones. Good. But then he marries Emma of Normandy. Oh, there's another one. Now, she is... A hugely important figure in English history. We'll see a lot more of her in the next few episodes. Perfectly fertile? Well, we'll we'll see. (laughs) Very soon we'll see. Um, She's possibly the new Dunstan. Oh, right. In terms of being around for lots and lots of of kings. Emma of Normandy. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah. She's given a Saxon name, but we'll just call her Emma. Um, Arguably the most important woman in English history until Anne Boleyn. She's really huge, hugely important in terms of 1066 and all that sort of stuff. I'm trying to think of another... No, I haven't got one. Nothing. Yeah, we'll go with Emma. Anyway, well, that's a name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's also first foreign marriage since um, Alfred's father, so it's quite a big deal. Mm. They have three children. Right. Uh, of whom two are sons, Alfred and Edward. So again, all those former king names. Yeah. It's actually a bit of criticism that of all the children he had with his first wife, he only has three with her. But nevertheless, that means that he has about nine surviving children by the right. end of it. It's so pretty that's, good. That's a nine. Which gives him a total of 59.5, which is, you know, it's not bad. That's better than Edward the Elder. Who else has got Rex Factor? It's better than Athelstan. <laughs> Who got the Rex Factor? Yeah. But that's the problem. 38 years, you're going to take over. So you think Victoria, in one swoop, is going to beat all the Saxons by being queen for well, ages. Yeah, yeah. So, 59.5, a oddly high score. But the question is, does he have that certain quality of greatness that makes him stand out from all the others. And it will help us balance this score. Indeed. Does he have the... Rex Factor! What? Well, I don't know. It's a tricky one. Yes, I'd say. Don't, don't, <laughs> it's, these guys are hopeless. Well, this guy's hopeless. This guy, well, and his, and his, and his brother. brother. His brother, to be fair, was killed yeah. on a horse. No, it's not good. I mean, it's a bit of sympathy for him. He lost his father when he was young. He was used as a political pawn. His brother gets killed when he's only ten years old. All the great men of court die off. He's unlucky that he faces the strongest Viking onslaught that any of the Saxons previously had faced. He's unlucky. Anyone would have found it difficult. I think his name says a lot. In that if, if he did have that old guard counselling him, mm. I think we'd have seen him had a very, very different story. Indeed. But 
And apparently he was quite a handsome chap. See, though, he's got his flowing yeah. blonde locks. Yeah. So he was respected for his looks. Yeah. But otherwise, it's got to be a no for the it's Rex Factor. No, it's an, it's it's an all it's out a, failure. Ain't no beauty contest. Indeed. <laughs> Very good point. So that's a no for Ethelredi Anarelli. He doesn't manage it. Uh, but before we finish, we've got a new little thing that we're featuring, mm-hmm. um, which is called. Prince Watch. Prince Watch, because for the next 50 years, it's 1016 now. Next 50 years, everything gets a bit complicated and we have lots of different dynasties overlapping with each other and there are a lot of male heirs who could be king. Right. So we're going to try and keep track of them all. So each week we're going to finish with saying which sons are still alive. Oh, so we can see it play out. So, Ethelred the Unready, by his first wife, Elgafu, he has Edmund and Edwig, who are surviving sons. By Emma, he has Alfred and Edward. So he's got four sons. Mm vying for the throne. Sven Forkbeard, who was briefly king, has Canute and Harold. Now, obviously, Harold is off in Denmark, but Canute in England. So he's got two sons. Alfred has four. We've got six potential kings of England at the moment. Canute's in England? Canute is in England. He's still there? Well, yes, because he went off after Ethelred came back, but then... Canute came back again with an invasion force to try and take the yeah. kingdom back, which he felt was his because his father had been king. Yeah, yeah. So Canute is trying to take the kingdom. Okay. Next week we'll see how successful Canute is when he takes on our next king, Edmund Ironside. Right, well. See you next time. See you next time, yeah. Thanks for listening. <laughs>